thanks for checking out episode 46 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. This is your host, Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 46, we are recapping the Tokyo Paralympic Games from a blind sports standpoint. And so in the first segment of this episode, uh, we feature a conversation on the goalball competition at the Paralympic Games on both the men's and women's sides. And uh, we have a guest joining us who is a goalball analytics coordinator a pretty new position and uh, so some really interesting statistics and observations from him about uh, the goalball competitions and then in the second segment of this episode i will recap uh, some of the guests we've had here on eyes free sports who competed in the paralympics and we'll also look at uh, blind football judo and just some overarching observations about the paralympic games from a blind sports standpoint so let's jump on into episode 46. All right, so joining me on this segment of the podcast is Mason Marin, and Mason is a goalball analytics coordinator uh, with USABA, very involved in tracking and, and watching uh, the goalball teams here in the U.S. Mason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Greg. Good to be here. Absolutely. Appreciate your time as well. And... Uh, I know that I did have uh, your dad, Tyler, uh, a member of the men's, uh, U.S. men's goalball team on the podcast last year. Uh, So great to catch up with you now here on this episode. And uh, so kind of on that note, just talk to us about uh, growing up in a goalball family, literally. Um, Yeah, so I've been around goalball to practices and tournaments since pretty much I was able to walk and they, uh, they let me hang around and get in the way and growing up as a kid i, I kind of had a, a love-hate relationship with um with goalball because you know it was it was such a cool thing to tell my friends about but at the same time you know my dad was gone for one weekend out of the month and three weeks for the the paralympics and it was definitely a a cool thing to to share but it was also you know a, something that um you know, my family had to to sacrifice quite a bit for. And, you know, when I was four or five or six years old, goalball practices weren't exactly something I looked forward to. It was, you know, four <laughs> hours of sitting in the hallway and trying to keep myself busy by getting into people's stuff and all that. But growing up, you know, going to tournaments, I was always told that, you know, my dad was famous in that community and um, everyone knew his name. I, I remember um, one time I was actually working at Chick-fil-A. It was my first job when I was probably about 16 and, um, someone came through the drive through, um, and they had a, like a white cane and, uh, they were sitting in the back of an Uber and I was like, you know, I just casually mentioned it to him. I was like, this is kind of weird, but, uh, you know, my parents are both blind. It's, it's kind of, kind of funny to, um, run into you. And he was like, Oh, what's your parents name? Maybe, you know, maybe I know him. I was like, Oh, my dad's Tyler Marin. And he goes, wait like the tyler Marin, and i was like i i guess so i mean you know he he's just the guy that owes me some allowance money but i guess if you know him as the tyler Marin, <laughs> we'll go with that um but yeah it was it was definitely um a big part of my life growing up um and then that that got me into being a goal judge when i was 11 and uh you know, oh, wow. go, going up to uh, refereeing and coaching and eventually um, signing a contract with USABA to, to do their analytics for them. 
Got you. And how old are you now? Uh, 21. Wow. So literally your whole life you've kind of been, uh, you know, in the thick of gold. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so talk to me about this, this role that you've had, how long you've had it and just kind of what you do in that, that role. Sure. So, um, I started the discussions about starting like a, a statistics slash analytics program, um, with the previous coach, Matt Boyle, uh, probably, 2018 or so um, I was just getting into college and I reached out to him and I was like hey what you know what do you think about starting up something um, to to be supplemental as far as um, statistics go and he's you know a very analytic coach um, in his coaching style so he was all about it and he was like you know if you can get a program designed and um, you know if you if you want to get into stuff like that then you know, give it a shot. And, um, I actually reached out to some computer, um, I, I don't know what you call it, software engineers, I guess, um, at Florida Atlantic university where I was going at the time. And they were like, yeah, sure. We, we got nothing going on. And I was like, that's weird, but give it a shot. And, um, <laughs> so they, you know, they cranked out a program and they were like, here you go. Hope it works. And I was like, I'll give it a shot. So, um, I started using that and, you know, kind of keeping track of, um, of how shots are going in the game. And, um, when the, uh, coaching transition happened, uh, right before Lima in 2019, when, um, coach young took over, I was kind of unsure about what we were going to be doing with that system. Um, because, you know, I, I had talked to coach Boyle about it and, you know, we were, um, and discussions about it. And then, you know, we were transitioning into a new coaching staff and I was like, you know, it, it could be <laughs> something that just gets abandoned. And, um, I talked to coach young shortly after he was, um, appointed as the coach. And I was like, you know, is this something you're interested in? And he was like, absolutely. We're going to, you know, start up a whole program and you're going to be very involved in it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a better result than I was expecting. So, but yeah, I I signed a contract with Usaba to do the work for him um, at the beginning of this year or end of last year, somewhere around there. And it's just been a blast um, attending camps and hopefully attending some tournaments coming up in the in the next few years. And I have very high hopes for what this program is going to be able to do for the team. Absolutely, and it's really just incredible how data, how analytics have just you know, dominated sports for so many years now across all sports. Absolutely. Uh, so it's really fascinating to see it, you know, entering Paralympic sports, uh, adaptive sports like goalball as well. Yeah. Uh, so we just wrapped up the Tokyo Paralympic Games. And, uh, of course, goalball is uh, probably, like I've mentioned many times on this podcast, uh, the most popular, most widely known sport for the blind and visually impaired and uh, it was quite an exciting uh, Paralympics in terms of goalball this year, both on the men's and women's sides. Uh, so let's just start with the men's uh, tournament at the Paralympics. And if you just want to run through uh, the finishers on the men's side. Yeah, so um, the top three on the men's side were um, Brazil, China, Lithuania. Um, USA ended up placing fourth, um, losing the bronze medal to Lithuania. And then um, the the rest of the leaderboard was Japan, Belgium, Ukraine, and then Turkey, Germany, and Algeria. So 
for the USA specifically, this was kind of a tournament of radical ups and downs. Tyler got injured in the first game during Brazil and sat out for the rest of the tournament. And, you know, when you get that, that information, um, it's a couple of things went through my head, you know, obviously the first thing, my dad is injured in a foreign country, (laughs) you know, that's, that was my first thought. And then I'm thinking that doesn't give a good outlook for the team. And then, you know, I, I kind of thought back to the last few training camps that I had been to and I thought to myself, you know, how the gap has closed between the starting lineup and the, the next three that are sitting on the bench. You know, these players have become very interchangeable. The team has become very modular, I guess you could say. You can take the, the sixth player in the lineup and put him in and your game won't fall apart, you know. And, and that's something that I feel like we have developed over time and i feel like it's a very useful thing so we ended up beating brazil in the first game and that was kind of what i saw as you know the the first benchmark um the first thing that we needed to hit in order to hit everything else and that game went fairly well for us um and you know looking at the results with brazil finishing on top i 100 percent believe that that could have been us, you know, had, had the cards fallen in our favor. And, um, that, that gives a a good outlook on the next, you know, few years or so, as far as where we're at in the world standings. Absolutely. And from what I understand, this was Brazil's first, uh, gold in Gobo, correct? Uh, yeah, I believe they finished first at a world championships recently. Um, but I, I think that was, um, their first gold in the Paralympics. Right. Very interesting. And uh, any kind of, you know, on the men's side, any matchups that you want to mention or players of note that really stood out to you during the whole competition? Yeah. Obviously, I was mostly watching USA's games, but there were definitely um, some interesting things all over this tournament. The, The one that comes to mind is USA beating Ukraine in overtime. And that was just an insane, insane game. I mean, it was, I think, I can't remember if that was one of the games that was at midnight or 2 a.m. here, but I mean, I was, I was up and I was going crazy. Um, I, I think that they were up four to one with seven and a half minutes left in the second half. And at that point, you know, I'm thinking this is the quarterfinal, like in my head, that's when I start to think, you know, sixth or seventh place, isn't that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, yep. and then, Callahan Young scores three goals in two and a half minutes to tie it up at four. And the last five minutes, as far as I know, went without a goal. And, you know, in in a game between USA and Ukraine on the men's side, that's that's a long time. Five minutes is a long time to go without a goal. So both teams held defensively extremely well up until overtime. And overtime gets started and I I seem to recall the announcer saying something like this could be a short overtime. We could see a goal on the first throw, who knows? And that's exactly what happened. And um, I I think coach young told the story of how that, that shot um, the first throw of overtime taken by Cal was developed a while ago. And, you know, going into, into overtime coach young said, when this ball goes in, you know, don't, don't leave the box. Just 
wait until game is called because we're going to score and win the game. And that's exactly what happened. And that, that is crazy to me. That's, I mean, that's something that I will always remember. And then as far as players to know, Callahan Young was just a scoring machine in this game or in this uh, tournament. I think he tied for the most even strength goals. Um, I think Sousa from Brazil had six goals on penalty shots in addition to that. So um, he finished up with 26 total. And I believe he was the top scorer on the men's side for this tournament. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was the top scorer in the tournament for both sides. And we'll get to that, get to that a little bit later. Um, And then um, Samir Belhuchat, I'm not totally sure how to pronounce that um, for Algeria. They didn't make the quarterfinals. So, you know, they had like four games, something like that. And he had the highest um, goals per game average. He still managed to to put in 18, even with them not making the quarterfinals. And I, I thought that was really impressive. Wow, absolutely. As far as um, some statistics to note, because, um, you know, that's, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I look for um, <laughs> after a tournament, before a tournament. Um, so the the thing about this tournament for the USA, penalties absolutely killed us. We threw 27 penalties in, I think, seven games that we played, something like that. So, you know, that's, that's about four per game. And that's mm. not unheard of, but it's a lot. Throughout the whole tournament, opposing teams threw four penalties against us. That is insane. <laughs> that, that is not something that happens very often on the men's side. I mean, to have four penalties thrown against us, I mean, we, we couldn't catch a break. And, you know, we, we don't go into tournaments expecting to catch breaks. But For sure. at the same time, you know, <laughs> that's, that's just rare. Meanwhile, Brazil, who placed first um, overall, had 29 penalties committed against them in the tournament um, mm. to R4. So uh, just just some some interesting things to uh, to take away from that. Um, I'm sure that Coach Young will will have some things to go over with the players in the next you know six months to a year to follow to uh, get ready for the World Championships. But um, yeah, that. The penalties were definitely a big factor in this tournament. Absolutely. And like, you know, it goes without saying any sport. If you have too many penalties, no matter how well you play, aside from those, you know, it can definitely take a toll. Absolutely. So, I mean, at the, I believe in the bronze medal game, we lost by three and got four penalty shots scored on us. So, you know, if not for the penalties, we win by one, maybe. Who knows? But it, it can definitely be a game changer. Absolutely. And just uh, kind of wrapping up the men's side, I know as far as the U.S., you know, disappointed they were not on the podium this year with the fourth place finish. But uh, still, you know, top four out of ten, still pretty impressive, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, that's that's fourth out of ten in the Paralympics, but that's fourth out of, you know, a hundred in the world. I mean, there there are a lot of countries that participate in goalball, so... Yeah, that's it's definitely an accomplishment. Great point, definitely. So let's turn our attention to the ladies and the the women's uh, goalball competition in the Paralympics. And uh, again, if you just want to start uh, with the the top ten, you know, as far as the finishers for the ladies. Yeah, so uh, the 
the top 10 for the ladies were um, in the top three, it was Turkey, USA, and Japan. And then Brazil, China, Israel were fourth, fifth, and sixth. And then uh, finishing it out was the Russian Paralympic Committee, Australia, Canada, and Egypt. As you usually see on the women's side, um, the games were generally a bit closer. Um, you don't see a lot of mercy finishes on the women's side. Hmm. Um, in this one, Egypt did happen to get mercyed in every game that they played, if I remember correctly. Um, but other than that, I mean, you had, you know, four to three, three to two, six to four, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not usually, um, uh, where you see a bunch of blowouts on the women's side. I mean, the, the U S team reminded everyone that, you know, they're, they're still comfortably in the top three, if not, you know, competing for first regularly. They, if I remember correctly, they beat Turkey four to three in their, um, in their round robin game. So they're definitely up there. Sure. Very interesting. And then in terms of, uh, you know, matchups or players of note, uh, anything you want to mention on the women's side? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the outcome that I remember most from this tournament was the, the USA winning their semifinal against Brazil and, uh, and penalty shots, you know, that's in any sport that, that involves penalty shots. It's always, uh, exciting and nerve wracking. I mean, I've, I've been in shootouts when I'm coaching goal ball, I've been in shootouts playing soccer in high school and, you know, it is a high energy situation. Um, and sometimes it, it comes down to one play. Um, and then in, in this one, it was Mindy cook blocking that last throw. And that was, you know, I, I just about lost it. I mean, you don't, you know, women's goal ball is not always as high energy as the men's, but it's, it's changing quickly. I can, I can tell you that much, um, you know, watching USA play regularly and, um, watching Turkey in this tournament, you know, it's, it's very, very quickly um, becoming interesting to watch. And um, that, that game was definitely evidence of that. As far as players to note, Amanda Dennis is always a player to note when, when she plays. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's always fun to watch her. She's good at what she does. Um, and she has a great team backing her up. But on the women's side, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle to pronounce this last name here. Um, Sevda Altunolik for Turkey. She scored 41 even strength goals in this tournament and five penalty shots for a total of 46. Holy cow. Wow. That is <laughs> crazy. I mean, the the top score on the men's side finished with 20 even strength goals, 26 total. So, you know, that's I mean, I I was reading these stat sheets yesterday, you know, just preparing some, some stuff for the coaches to look over um, whenever they get back stateside. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's gotta be a typo, right? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never <laughs> seen anything like that. And obviously, you know, we've um, we haven't always had access to all of these numbers um, so easily, you know, it, it used to be, you had access to the numbers if the coach was on the bench, writing down notes on a sheet of paper, you know, um, but they have the, right. the full box score. And I looked at that and that's just 
insane to me. Mm-mm, really impressive, for sure. That's that's really something. And uh, I did want to mention uh, Lisa Chakowsky and uh, Asia Miller uh, played in their sixth uh, Paralympics. Uh, you know, have have been competing since 2000, since Sydney, both uh, over the age of 40. And uh, so just really impressive there to see those ladies, you know, keep on rolling. Absolutely. It's it's very cool to see both programs having a balance of experience and fresh talent, um, you know, going to camps and um, watching the men's team play and, and seeing the women's team. It's so cool to see veterans like Asia and Lisa and you know tyler and john kusku um mentoring these young players and and just kind of seeing like i said the the gap kind of close between um between where they are and i I think that the the experience is definitely helping those younger players to um to come into this and and be ready to compete absolutely and I am curious, just your observations of the men's and women's teams, you know, men's and women's goalball in general. Uh, what would you say maybe the differences or even similarities are in the style of play? You know, the the women's team has kind of been fairly stable. I, I would say that they have an advantage over the men's team in that um, I think that you can put the women's team on the court against any team in the world. And, you know, if, if all goes to plan, you know, no injuries, no, you know, outliers as far as how many penalties they throw, um, I think that they will, you know, generally get the same result. I, I think that, you know, a team that they're a lot better than, they will beat them by a lot. And a team that they are um, closely matched with, they will, you know, win or lose by a small margin. Um, I think that the men's team is a little bit more um, kind of erratic. I I would say a little bit more explosive. I think that, you know, they, they can put a beating on a team. You know what I mean? I I think that they can absolutely (laughs) um, just roll over someone if they get into their rhythm, you know, have all of their players available have their substitutions available because like I said, this, this team is interchangeable. All six of these guys can play really well. Um, but you know, we saw in this tournament, things can go wrong very, very quickly. (laughs) And you know, that's, it's, um, definitely something that could use a little bit more stability i would say sure thing interesting observations and then uh, so just to wrap up uh, the goalball discussion here so looking forward whether it's the u.s men's and women's teams or kind of goalball you know from a global standpoint what uh, what are your predictions you know moving forward looking into looking at paris in 2024 and perhaps even some of the tournaments in between now and then um well i'll start on the women's side um i I foresee the women's team um, staying top three. I think that they really could take gold in 2024. Um, I don't see them, you know, placing below third. Honestly, coach Jake is um, very involved. He's very, um, he's a very good coach to be honest. And um, he, he knows his stuff and these players are, 
getting better every single day that they're out there in Indiana training. So uh, I expect I expect the the U.S. team especially to um, to hold their own. And honestly, I, I expect more development to come out of um, the teams coming from the African region. Um, I know that Egypt didn't get the quite the result that they were hoping for, but you know, I, I think that they'll um, they'll gain some ground as far as um, where they place in the future. And on the men's side, um, this was you know not exactly the result that we were hoping for um, going into this tournament. You know, we were we were coming off a first place victory in the Trikai games in Lithuania. And, you know, we were comfortable with our position and then our position changed and it changed fast. So, um, I, I think that, um, coach young and coach Wallace, um, are going to have a lot of, of things to go through with the team. And I, I think that they will, um, they will come back a lot stronger in 2024 and um, who knows, maybe we'll, we'll see some fresh talent come into the, uh, the top six. We had um, Zach Bueller and Callahan young um, in their first Paralympics um, in Tokyo. Sure. And I mean, I, I have 100% confidence that Zach Bueller could have come on um, and you know, he would have held his own because that's, that's the kind of team this is. Um, they're all six of them are, are capable and, um, you know, they're ready to compete. So I, I expect really good things coming up in the next few years. Absolutely. Very well summarized and well stated. All right. Well, again, uh, Mason Marin joining us here on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate your time, Mason and insight and, Certainly wish you the best of luck in this role and look forward to following, uh, you know, the, the analytics and, and kind of the data that USAVA is getting into here. And like you said, I think it's all, you know, going to benefit the teams in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Alrighty. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. So in this segment of the podcast, I wanted to recap blind football, a little bit about judo and also mention some of the guests we've had here on Ice Free Sports and how they finished in the Paralympics, in addition to just some final thoughts on the games. So in terms of blind football, a.k.a. blind soccer or football five aside, it was Brazil who captured the gold medal in a very closely contested match uh, against Argentina and just a final score of one nothing in that game. And uh, so Brazil has actually dominated blind football in the Paralympics. Uh, This was their fifth straight gold medal in blind football. And they've actually won every single uh, blind football competition in the Paralympic Games since that sport was introduced in 2004 uh, in Athens. Also, Morocco defeated China 4-0 to capture the bronze medal. Uh, So shout out to Morocco. And just uh, to recap the the final standings as far as the eight teams who competed in blind football. So in first, with that gold medal, was Brazil. Second was Argentina with silver. 
Third uh, was Morocco, earning the bronze. Number four was China. Number five was Japan. Number six was Spain. Number seven was Thailand. And number eight was France, rounding at those eight teams. In terms of judo, there were 136 different competitors uh, from 41 different countries this year across both men's and women's events. And that was actually Azerbaijan, which is an Asian country that really dominated the judo field uh, this year at the Paralympic Games. They walked away with eight total medals, including six golds, as well as two bronze medals. I did want to give a shout out to Ben Goodrich of the U.S., who captured a silver medal in the men's 100-kilogram event. And he fell to Chris Skelly of Great Britain. Uh, So congrats to Ben. So as far as guests we've had here on Eyes Free Sports, a big shout out to Lex Gillette, a well-known track and field and long jump uh, competitor. And Lex took home a silver medal in the men's T11 long jump. So congrats, Lex. Uh, Job well done. And uh, so Lex had a jump of 6.17 meters, which was only three-tenths of a meter off uh, the gold. And he finished behind uh, Di Dongdong of China, uh, who had a jump of 6.47 meters in that event. Also, Kyle Kuhn, a paratriathlete, finished in fifth place in uh, his event. And he completed that uh, triathlon in exactly one hour and three minutes. Believe it or not, only 40 seconds uh, off the podium. Uh, So great job, Kyle, in your first uh, Paralympics appearance. I did want to mention a swimmer, Anastasia Pagonis, uh, just 17 years old, very well known on TikTok. I think she has literally over 2 million TikTok followers. And she walked away with a gold medal in the... S11 400 meter freestyle event. So big shout out and congratulations to Anastasia Pagonis. And she finished with a time of 4 minutes and 54.49 seconds. And she actually set a new world record in that event. Also, Brad Snyder, still pretty new to paratriathlons. He took home a gold with a time of one hour, one minute, and 16 seconds. So congrats, Brad. Also, Isaac John Paul of the U.S. took bronze in the men's long jump T13 event. So congrats to Isaac. A sprinter from the U.S., Kim Crosby, won bronze in the 100-meter event. And uh, she actually made headlines because she was not allowed to bring her guide dog to the Paralympic Games in Tokyo, which uh, just makes really no sense to me whatsoever. But congrats to Kim on your on your medal. And then finally, uh, Becca Myers. I know a lot of people have heard about Becca's story. She uh, is a deafblind swimmer and uh, was denied having a personal care assistant attend the Paralympic Games with her. Uh, So she actually opted out and decided not to compete, which was a huge, huge loss uh, for the U.S. team. And uh, just wanted to say here on Ice Free Sports, we absolutely support you, Becca, in your decision. 
And, uh, you know, we certainly understand the COVID restrictions that were in place this year, which did limit uh, a lot of individuals from attending and uh, being able to attend and support the athletes there. But uh, we absolutely believe that that was not a fair uh, ruling, that you were not able to bring any kind of support with you. Um, so we, we absolutely back you and support you here on Ice Free Sports. And that's going to wrap up the Paralympic discussion here from a blind sports perspective. So once again, congratulations to all of the medal winners and more importantly, just everyone who competed in the Paralympic Games. I know it uh, was delayed by a year because of the pandemic and uh, it was extremely exciting to see everyone get back out there, um, especially, you know, here on this podcast following the blind and visually impaired competitors. Uh, so congrats to everyone. And we certainly look forward to the 2022 winter Paralympic games in Beijing. And then of course the next summer Paralympics will be held in Paris, France in 2024. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.